those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim. I'm on the staff team here. And over the last few weeks, as we've been going through the Christ in the Chaos series, Jamie has been speaking a lot about purpose, God's purpose for you and me. And as we come to our reading today that we've just had, we see that God's purpose for us isn't hidden, it's really clear. Jesus famously said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And I want to speak today, what does that mean for us as Christians, but specifically, what does that mean for us in our culture, in our time? For we find ourselves in a very particular cultural moment, regardless what is happening with a lockdown or a pandemic, a cultural moment where a culture of accusation and very public condemnation is so apparent, it's so obvious and clear, it's actually been given a name. I am, of course, talking about cancel culture. Now, some of us will have heard of this, some of us won't. Um, Let me try as best I can to briefly explain it. Cancel culture is the name that has been given to an act of publicly calling someone out, even publicly shaming someone, usually online, due to the belief that they have done something wrong. So to cancel someone is to reject them and to oppose their views or actions in an attempt to deprive them of time and attention sometimes even, their ability to make a living. So generally, you know, you might have seen something in the news, there's been a row, something's happened. Some people on social media, they've stated their disapproval of someone or something. Sometimes there's personal attacks and there's calls for the person in question or the organisation to face consequences for their actions. So even if it seems like a strange phrase to cancel someone, we understand that people are cancelled as they face a damaged reputation, or maybe they lose their internet presence, or even their livelihood. And it's been called a cancel culture because it's now a fairly widespread and observable thing. To give you a couple of examples just from last year, uh, the broadcaster, Alistair Stewart, he was condemned for quoting Shakespeare at someone on Twitter. And he ended up actually leaving ITV News because of it. Some people have said that's an example of cancel culture. Some people have said that the sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey, if you remember, from the Labour Party, well, that was an example of cancel culture. But this isn't just online. Some people say, actually, if you remember, the tearing down of statues last year, well, that is a form of cancel culture. Now, as you can see, to talk about cancel culture is to talk about a very, possibly very controversial topic. Some of you just sat up to the edge of your seats thinking, gosh, this is very spicy for a Sunday morning. Because the thing is, some people see this very differently. To some people, cancel culture is a, an overreaction. It's, a, it's not a good thing. It's a negative. It's ineffective, and people are just being held in the unaccountable court of public opinion. To others, though, this is a right and good way to flag past wrongs. It's a way to hold people accountable and institutions accountable. Some people are in the middle. But for Christians, as followers of Jesus, whatever we think of our current culture, whatever we think of a cancel culture, we know that it's nothing new. Do you see this from verse 11? Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's how it is for Christians. That's how it's always been. Since Jesus' time and even before that, he said it's always been like this for ambassadors of God. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there was Jesus saying 2,000 years ago, 
if you face a culture that wants to cancel you because of your connection to Jesus, because of your connection to me, you're blessed. But then Jesus goes on to describe God's purpose for us. He says, you're salt and you're light. So today as I speak about this, I'm not trying to say whether I think various examples of someone being cancelled is right or wrong. What what we're asking today is in this moment, even in a cancel culture, who is God calling us to be? Well, Christ's call, his commission to us is the same as it was to the first disciples. Jesus said, even in a culture of attacks, insults, even persecution, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. Where is Christ in the chaos? Jesus says, I'm in you, working through you as we bring salt and light to a decaying and dark world. This is God's purpose for us. This is what I'm speaking about today. And we're gonna ask, what might that mean in our culture today? And specifically, what might that mean in a so-called cancel culture? So what is God's purpose for us? Well, firstly, Jesus says this from verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What does this mean? What does this image mean, this famous image? Well, firstly and quickly, it means you're very valuable to God. Whoever you are today, you are valuable to God. Salt was such an incredibly precious and valuable resource in that day in ancient times. In fact, it was so precious that Roman soldiers were paid in salt. That's where we get the phrase, a man is worth his salt from. That's where, actually where we get our word salary from. You are valuable to God. You are his valuable commodity. He loves you. Remember that today, whatever you face, you are precious to him. But you aren't just precious to God. Actually, we have a precious role in the world. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. He didn't just say, you're my salt. He said, you're the salt of the earth. And salt is a preservative. And what Jesus meant is to say, I'm sending you out to preserve a decaying world. A world, if it's left to itself, will decay. Remember, salt is used to preserve meat and save it from going rotten. And in the same way, God sends us on his saving mission to bring his distinctive saving life to the world, to save the world from decay. Now, saying the world is decaying, is that a bit arrogant? Is that a bit condescending? You know, here we are on our mission to go save the world. No, there's no room for that here. John Stott pointed out that the church can't look at a decaying world and self-righteously criticize it. Because we are God's solution to it. So we just can't condemn violence or immorality, selfishness or greed. Because the question actually is, when we see those things, where's the salt? Where's the church of God being all God has called it to be? Where is the church being God's preserving hope, wisdom and way of life in a fallen world? You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. This speaks into so many things, but let's apply it to the so-called cancel culture. In a world that is increasingly hateful and divided and divisive, in a world full of condemnation that hates its enemies, we go with the message of Jesus. We go as the salt of the earth. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
That command from Jesus will come later in the Gospel of Matthew after our reading. And it's such a radical call. Imagine if all Christians practiced that. And now imagine if the world practiced that. God's preservation against decay and division would be seen as people love one another and even pray for those in opposition to them. The challenge of this, however, is that it's much easier to be salty, as it were, when the world agrees with you. And the danger is that we lose our God-given distinctive saltiness. Jesus warned about this. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And this image, this is about losing and compromising the distinctiveness of our God-given life and message. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you're just the same as everybody else, it sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? He says, you're no longer good for anything. In fact, he says, the world might trample over you and you won't be preserving anything because you're just the same as the world. We all want to be accepted, don't we? But since we don't just preach being nice, but Jesus Christ as Lord, that means the world might well disagree with us. In fact, as Christians, in a cancel culture, we might risk ourselves being cancelled. For instance, let's name it the topic of our day. If you preach God's better way for sex and marriage, the world may well oppose you. Jesus taught us and God shows us throughout the Bible that the right place for God's good gift of sex is between one man and one woman in marriage. And that following that way, though it might sound restrictive to so many today, God says that actually preserves us from sin and is actually God's best design for human flourishing. And now you might all see, well, there you go again. Christians, gosh, you're obsessed with sex. The passage doesn't say that to him. Why are you talking about this today? No, Christians aren't obsessed with sex. Our culture is obsessed with sex. And this is what it means. This is where the rubber hits the road in terms of being distinctive, in terms of being the salt of the earth for Jesus. Let's take another example. Our culture is not saying at the moment, stealing's okay, and Christians are having to stand up and say, oh, actually, no, God has a better way where actually we respect each other's property. Jesus preached a different message to our culture in the area of sex and marriage. And we are being the salt of the earth as we faithfully share God's better plan for it. Today, even in the face of a culture that may well want to cancel you, do not lose your distinctive saltiness. Trust in God's way. Trust that his way is the way that will preserve the world. And then live and speak as one who has been sent by God to preserve the world, to bring his life, to bring his hope, to see his kingdom breaking through. Now, even if we face opposition for that, God says you'll be blessed. In fact, he says, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. You are the salt of the earth, said Jesus. But then he continues. Verse 14, read with me. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And then he uses two images to help explain what he means. He first, he says, you're a city on a hill. Now, in somewhere like London, we might not appreciate this kind of message, but imagine being in a place where there's no light pollution. If there is a town, if there's a settlement on a hill, even on a slight rise, in the dead dark of night, even small lights in a house would shine brightly and that town would be like a beacon. And Jesus says, that's what you're like. But then he explains himself again. He says, you are like a lamp designed to light a house. Now, I love lamp. Um, I actually counted for this sermon. Um, I actually own 12 lamps, 12 lamps in a flat for one person, and that's quite a lot. And Jesus rightly says, and I would agree as something of a lamp hoarder, you wouldn't hide a lamp if you had one. You'd place it in the right place to give light to the whole house. And Jesus says, I have established you as my light. And now position yourselves that your light may shine before other people, that your good deeds would shine before other people. He says, don't lose your saltiness. He says, don't hide your light. Now, if the purpose of us being salt is to preserve, the purpose of us being light is to illuminate and to lead people, as Jesus said, to glorify our Father in heaven. It's not enough that people don't just go rotten. People must be transformed and renewed. They must be born again, that their whole lives might be turned to worship God. We're therefore to be an influence for God. Can you see this? This is our purpose, to be a light in the darkness. The light of Jesus shining out through our whole lives, through what we say, through what we do. But again, in the face of a cancel culture, what might this mean? What does it mean to be the light of God, the light of the world in a cancel culture? Well, let's take an example of the so-called cancel culture. Last December, the BBC reported on an author who had faced a very stern response on Twitter. Lots of condemnation on Twitter, in fact, against her comments that she had made in conversation with a journalist. And in response to these comments, because obviously she faced a sort of public backlash, when in response to these comments, her publishers, who were due to, to publish the book this year, they actually dropped the book and they cancelled the contract. Now, the great irony of this case is that the author, a lady called Julia Birchall, well, she was writing about cancel culture. She had written a book called Welcome to the Woke Trials when suddenly she was faced with the very thing that she had written about, trial by Twitter. And her reputation was tarnished in the eyes of some and her publishers moved to protect their own reputation. And when we talk about cancel culture, this is kind of what we mean. This is a typical case Somebody does something, there is a reaction to it, and then people's whole lives can be affected by this. They can even lose jobs and livelihoods. They can lose their image in public. And again, I'm not trying to ask today whether we think that what happened to her was right or wrong. The question for Christians is, those who follow Jesus, what happens after someone is so-called cancelled? Is there any way back for them? Is there any way for them to redeem themselves? Because it's been pointed out that our culture at the moment actually leaves no room for restoration, no chance of redemption. Here's how one commentator puts it so precisely. He writes this, the new highly secular council culture represents an extreme form of righteousness 
that has all the moral power of a certain kind of Protestant Christianity, but none of the basic scaffolding of redemption on which such Christianity is built. And morality without forgiveness or redemption is a frightening, persecutory business. Now, don't be put off if that sounds fairly grand, you know, the basic scaffolding of redemption. He's talking about mercy without forgiveness or redemption. Justice with no grace. In other words, people are crying out for others to act righteously in a way that some Christians might, but they don't have the foundation of redemption. They don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ that only Christianity offers. In the West, our values and our standards, our standards of justice, in fact, they are based on Christian values, on Christian teaching. That's, you know, the idea of human rights. That is based on a Christian notion. But your justice will falter if you reject the God of justice because your morality has no hope for anyone to redeem themselves. I mean, if you transgress by modern standards, like that author who was cancelled, what way back is there for her? If she has been condemned in the court of public opinion, who can she appeal to to say, I want to come back. I want my life to be changed. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Who in our culture has the authority to do that? If there is no God, who can she possibly appeal to save her? And here is where we begin to see how God in a council culture calls us to be a light in the darkness because of course we know the God who forgives sins. To understand this more, let's watch this brief clip from Barack Obama uh, talking about a, a culture of calling people out. Um, he's speaking at a conference to young people and he's talking about cancel culture. Let's watch it now. But I do get a sense sometimes now, well, and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> that, that's not bringing about change. You know, if, 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 if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're not going to get very far, said Barack Obama. And I find it so interesting, so fascinating that when he is talking about this topic, cancel culture, he references the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. It's that story in John's Gospel, if you remember it, where religious leaders bring a woman who's been caught sinning to Jesus and they bring him to his feet. And they say, we have caught this woman sinning. She's been caught in the act of adultery. And our laws, our rules say that we have the right to stone her to death. But what do you say? And it was their way of trying to call Jesus out and actually catch him in a trap. But do you remember Jesus's reply? It's incredible. He says, those of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. Those of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. 
and he bends down as they're doing this and he's writing in the sand. Some people suggest that actually he might be writing their sin. And eventually, one by one, the Pharisees, those religious leaders, they drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus then turns to the woman and said, does anyone condemn you? Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Cancel culture is nothing new. It's just another form of casting stones at one another. Self-righteously condemning one another and offering no hope of redemption. But this is how God calls us to be a light in the darkness. Instead of offering people religious righteousness with no hope, without the possibility of redemption, we get to offer people Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shining through his people. The truth is, of course, we all deserve to be counselled by God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't one of us, as Jesus said to those Pharisees, there isn't one of us who is without sin. No one of us could cast the first stone because none of us are without sin. Only Jesus was. But he took all our sin upon himself and was cancelled in our place. I love how Colossians 2 says it as it describes the wonder of the gospel. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And the wonder of the gospel is that instead of cancelling us, as we come to God in repentance and faith, he cancels our sin. He cancels all that stood against us and condemns us. And he forgives us because he says, I have nailed your sin to the cross. And instead of cancelling you like you deserve, Instead, I've borne that upon myself and I've been cancelled in your place. That's God's cancel culture. And this is the message that we get to carry to a wounded world that is so divided and so without hope, that is throwing stones at one another. A world that is decaying, a world that is dark. This is where Christ emerges in the chaos because in a world of cancelling and condemnation, we get to say, if you trust in Jesus Christ, he will never cancel and he will never condemn you. And God is calling us again to live this out. God is calling us as HTC to live this out. Or maybe you're watching this today, you're not part of our church family. God is calling you to live this out. Maybe you're listening today, you're not actually a Christian. God has a purpose for your life. He's calling you to be salt and light. He's calling us to remain faithful to him, to be distinct for him, preserving those around us from decay. And he calls us to be the light of the world, his light shining in us and through us so that people's whole lives might be transformed and turn to worship God. Hear Jesus' call and his commission again for your life. Even now in our culture, even now in a cancel culture, God says, I send you as my salt and as my light. Will you respond to his call today?